I am well aware during baby dedications, you're just watching those adorable kids. You're not listening to one thing I have to say. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Romans. We continue on in our series. Um, I did find it was, it was, what, Sunday prior to Thanksgiving. I did just yesterday stumble upon, while I was driving, Matthew West's Gobble Gobble song. And I thought that was so adorable that I want to share that with you as we, in a sense, pause. No doubt, no doubt, 2020 has been a little bit of an odd year. And we're like, well, we're to give thanks. Let me remind you, I have read this oftentimes on this very Sunday. It is a declaration, I should say, a proclamation From 1623, it takes us back a little bit. Governor Bradford of Massachusetts made his very first Thanksgiving proclamation three years after the pilgrims settled in Plymouth, Massachusetts. If you know history at all, you realize that it wasn't real easy of a time. And yet, wisely... Governor Bradford made this declaration, and I read it to you this morning, and I quote. Inasmuch as the great Father has given to us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn and wheat peas and beans and squash and garden vegetables... He's made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams. And inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship according to the dictates of our own conscience, now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill, between the hours of nine and twelve in the daytime, on Thursday, November the 29th of the year of our Lord, 1623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, We're to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all of his blessings. You know, even in a difficult year, a tough time, we have much, we have much to give thanks for when we just pause. Take the focus off of ourselves. See God's grace that he has lavishly poured out for us. And we bow. And we give thanks. Let's do that briefly as we begin our time in the word this morning. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your amazing grace. We do ask for strength as you've called us to journey through a difficult season. I thank you for every person that's here, for your spirit that is present, for your word that is most powerful. God, speak to us. Help us, Lord, to maneuver our way through another day, another week, with gratitude in our hearts. Help me, please speak in a way that you are glorified. Open eyes and ears. 
to see and hear you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, the book of Romans, we have been in. The time for truth is now. We looked at Romans chapter 1. We called it what we kind of ascended, the, the mountain to gain an entire view of what I call the theological landscape. The author we know is the Apostle Paul. He's been making a very, very strong argument that God is revealing himself from faith for faith as it is written, what? The just shall live by faith. As one trusts in the incarnation, that's God, what, coming to earth. That's manger, cross, tomb. As we trust in Jesus, and also we trust in what surrounds us, the testimony of his creation, we learn the fact that all of mankind is without excuse. You can't say, I didn't get to notice on this one, okay? Yet Paul makes very clear the case against the ungodly that when people choose to suppress the truth, to exchange the glory of God for a lie, actually we learned, and this is heavy stuff, that God gave them over. You want this? You can have it. Three times, verse 24, 26, and 28. Tragic words. God just gave them up. God gave them over to dishonorable passions, to a debased mind, so much so that it results in the deserving of death. That's what we looked at last Sunday. Talk about invite your friend to church day on that subject, right? Romans 1 is dark, okay? There's no doubt about it. It's a dark, dark text. We are fully aware of it. It's heavy. So today, we're like, let's turn the page. Is there good news? Is there good news that awaits before we turn our attention to Romans chapter 2, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever seen something before that you're not exactly quite sure what you're looking at? Like, like you're looking like, I'm not, like, I'm not. This past Tuesday night, I was coming home from a meeting, and it was relatively late, but I know it, it wasn't 10 o'clock yet, because as I drive home on 150, you get to the red light to turn left into a rich. At 10 o'clock, it starts, the red light just flashes red, so you can just stop and look, you don't have to wait there. And I remember, it had to be before 10 o'clock, because it was a steady red light. I pulled up to the red light, there's no other car at this four-way intersection. And in the opposite direction, in the left-hand turning lane, just standing there in front of me was, was quite a majestic buck. A deer just standing like on the little yellow, the, the, the white turning. And it wasn't like huge. It was probably like six, maybe eight points. And, and you're just kind of like staring at it. Like, really? As the light turns green, I actually thought, does, does he have the right of way or do I have the right of way? He did not have a blinker on. And it's just one of those moments like you just kind of like, there's no one else around. You're just kind of staring like, did I just, like, what exactly? Like, that just seems weird. You know, as we turn our attention and we look at Romans chapter 2, in the wake of Romans chapter 1, I can't help but really have the same feeling. What exactly am I looking at here in Romans chapter 2? Because we know after darkness comes light, right? After darkness comes light. But in this case... 
It's not so. In Romans chapter 2, after darkness comes more darkness. Let's, let's read, and you see this for yourself. We're going to break it into two sections. We're going to consider Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 first. Then we'll read verses 6 through 11. The word of the Lord. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges. For in passing judgments on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape? The judgment of God? Or, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The great Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite preachers of past, had preached a passionate message on the judgment of God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. They, they would oftentimes meet outside, literally numbering in the thousands. And after this really heavy, passionate message from the crowd, someone calls out, yells out, but Mr. Edwards, is there no mercy with God? To which he shouted back to them. He reminded them, you'll have to wait until the following Sunday to get to that part of the message. You know, the, the same, in a sense, could be said of Romans chapter 2. If we hope to get to the good news... Of Romans 2, our, our hopes are in vain because Paul is not done with the bad news yet. Let's remember the situation as to why the book of Romans was written in the first place. Holy Spirit prompted Paul to write this letter to the church in Rome. We know that Paul had not been to Rome yet. He'd not met these people. He was writing this letter in Corinth. He was hopefully en route to Spain, and he wanted to travel through Italy, through Rome, to get there to meet this church. And he had heard some, some, some scuttlebutt. He, he had heard some rumors. He had heard some news that there were some factions within the body of Christ, some division within the church, particularly dealing with the subject of soteriology, or what we would call the doctrine of salvation. And the dividing line was between Jews and Gentiles within the church. And it's quite complicated, but a very high view and overview of this is that some people believed in the church that by adhering to certain laws, by adhering to good works, that that was actually necessary for salvation. Good works were necessary for justification. Is to, and the, the result to this is that some people actually thought that they were more spiritual 
I know it's hard for you to think about that in the church, but some people actually thought that they were better than other people. That's the subject here. That's why Paul builds this case, and we get to in Romans chapter 3, we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. Two very simple points I want to give to you this morning. And we see as we read in Romans chapter 1, in, in passing judgment on one another, you actually condemn yourself. Because you, and this is sarcastic, you, the judge, that's how it's really written, practice the very same things. Two points. The first one is this. Stop thinking that you are better than other people. That's really what we see in Scripture here. There's not a real pretty way to like package that. There's no bow on that. Point number one. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, writes to the Romans. The Holy Spirit speaks to every person who's sitting here this morning and listening to this message. Stop thinking. You are better than other people. What you're doing, it's, it's pointing fingers. By pointing fingers at others, by judging others, by, by you saying, you're not quite as spiritual as I am, not only is that just a start, not only is just that arrogant and boastful, but it's actually worse than that. When the Holy Spirit says what, that you practice such things, you're doing exactly what you're pointing fingers at. So what is this? This is the sin of hypocrisy that is on full display here. Particularly the Jewish Christians who are judging wrongly. They're Gentile brothers and sisters. And what happens here, basically what Paul is saying is this. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? My dad would say this, who died and made you king? Back of the bus, boy. And that was just simple, clear stuff. Who died and made you king? Now before we what? Before we point fingers at those people in that Roman church. Before we what? Put the torch to twigs surrounding the feet of these people. Let me say something and I want it to be heard very clearly. Hypocrisy can exist in our own ranks. Did you hear me? Hypocrisy. Saying one thing, oh, and yet doing something else can exist in the church of Jesus Christ today. Matter of fact, I believe it does exist at some level. Hypocrisy can exist, believe it or not, at Big Woods Bible Church in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, November 2020. Now, we may not draw the line of distinction between Jew and Gentile, but where do we begin to draw lines where we can very easily point fingers at one another? What I have witnessed is this. Well, I grew up in the church. Got a baby dedication certificate framed on my nursery wall. Grew up in the church, attended Sunday school. And those people, well, they didn't, they just don't know. So they're not quite where we are. Where else do we begin to kind of create and draw lines? Those who are raised in a Christian home versus those who are not. Those who attended a Christian school or attended a Christian college. We begin to draw lines on what the fact that my mom and dad didn't get divorced, but their parents, well, they did. And we begin to like draw lines here. Somebody went to college. Somebody decided not to go to college. And lines are drawn. 
of distinction and separation. Some people make more money than other people. And so lines are drawn and fingers get pointed. Some people got better grades. I never really liked you anyway. Some of you what? Won more scholarships. Some of you went to, to more expensive schools. Some of you received more trophies. And, and what? And the list is just endless here. So much so that the church of Jesus Christ sadly can begin to look a whole lot like the world. Where the world measures. Where the world what? Compares and competes and judges rather than accept just accept one another and love one another as jesus taught us in john chapter 15 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if it's conditional if if you have love for one another instead what happens Psst, did you know he smokes yeah saw him out back Smelled it on his breath. He couldn't get him in fast enough. He couldn't get it by me. And that's, that's how we begin to make like little tiny, yeah, did, did you know? Yeah, she got arrested. Mm-hmm, DUI. Don't tell anyone. I read it in the newspaper, though. Like that, that's, really, that's really what happens where people begin to kind of like maneuver their way through. They're having some marriage problems pretty bad just pray about it but i heard this yep his son got caught with pot their daughter yep she got pregnant so, so much so that the local church of jesus christ begins to actually look a lot like junior high where there's categories categories of people there's in junior high you have your jocks and your geeks and you have your beautiful people and then you're what apparently not so beautiful i don't know who measures that you have your preps and your nerds your hicks and the hipsters i i think there's there's tremendous damage tremendous damage to kind of viewing people well he's just he's just you know he's a little he's a little nerdy I saw a bumper sticker recently. You all saw the same one. Be nice to the nerds. Chances are you're going to end up working for one someday. That, that, that might work for junior high. That might even work for high school. Let me make it very clear. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. That is not the elect. That's not how we think, not how we talk, not how we walk. That is not for those, all of us, who have been rescued and redeemed from our own brokenness and sin. That, 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 that behavior, that talk, that thinking, that pointing, that is not for those who have been justified, declared righteous before a holy God. That's not for us. That's not for us that have been called out and set apart. They're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Those of us who are moving quickly and rapidly through this foreign land... Yeah, we, want, we, just, we just continue to move through serving and sacrificing and giving and, and loving, pleading, and praying for the lost, doing everything, doing everything. Soli Deo, glory, for the glory of God alone. That silliness, 
That does not exist within the ranks of the church of Jesus Christ. There are some great lessons in this for you and I this morning. We need to ask this question, just like Paul asked. Who do you think you are? Stop thinking you're better than other people. Look at the description here. Know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do, do, do you suppose that you will escape judgment? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? You know what all of those phrases are? They're actually just polite ways. They're like, they're gracious, polite ways to tell you you're not as perfect as you think you are. That's gracious ways telling you what? Very politely that you're not as holy as you think you are. And if you want to continue to behave like this, look at what it says. You're actually storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath. You want to talk like that? You want to point fingers? You want to measure? You're heaping wrath up. It's just going to be poured out on you later on. That is a terrifying thought. Or what? Or if we hear it this morning, it's actually a beautiful, wonderful reminder that we can just stop right now. Stop pointing fingers and judging one another. We, we love to make excuses. For some, for some reason, when something, when we're confronted, you ever been driving down the road before and you noticed, for some reason, you're just, just, you're just, how do I say this, you're just maybe driving a little bit faster than you, you're just kind of driving over the speed limit. We would say that's the polite way, you're breaking the law. What's the first thing that you ever do when you realize that you're driving maybe a little faster than the speed limit. What's the first thing? Generally, you're looking to see, is there another car that's going faster than me? That's the first thing, first thing I'm looking for. It's just what? Because then automatically, yeah, I'm not quite, but they, and what? We try to come up with excuse after excuse after excuse. I remember one time we were down on vacation in Florida and we were heading to a, a, a ball game. We were like like four hours before first pitch, and 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 I got I got caught speeding coming off a bridge. I didn't realize the, the speed limit goes down. The kids are like, "Daddy, not again!" And I remember, I remember, just it just like pours out. Uh, a trooper is in front of me. He's like six foot six, black guy. He's like. Just, I'm just terrified already knowing. Like, I just like, I don't know what I did. Lord, forgive me. The first thing that comes out of my mind, out of my mouth. Sir, you're right. I was speeding. This is a rental car, and I'm not used to this car. That's just a dumb. And he, no joke, he looks at me. He's like, you see that cruiser in, in front of you right there? He goes, the one I drive? He goes, that's not really my car either. But he goes, if you look at that little round thing in front of you, it would tell you exactly how fast you're going. It's in every car. <laughs> There's no excuse. You just, just where, I, where do I go to driving school again? Where do I pay the ticket? 
You see, we automatically lean that direction. And Paul's like, no, you cannot go there. The same exact principle applies here. Keep the focus on someone else and we get off the hook. Let me tell you this. Let me make this very, very clear. Upon the authority of the word of God, it does not look like that. It does not work like that. You cannot keep the focus on someone else. The truth is we hold the mirror of the word of God before our own life. And we see where we fall short. And we don't point. We don't measure. We don't judge. There's more. Let's read. Pick it up in verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by practice in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Translate that to everyday language, God doesn't show favoritism. The second point, start trusting that God knows the truth about all people. Start trusting this fact. Start trusting that God knows the truth about all people. He will render to each one according to his works. He shows no partiality. So in Romans chapter 1, if we see that God is holy and we are not... In, in Romans chapter 2, we begin to see that God is just. God is totally, totally fair. And I can't help but think, again, of Jesus' teaching. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 6, where we are instructed very clearly, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Listen to Jesus' words here. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So he's talking about the fact we don't measure, we don't judge, but it's not ruling out discernment here. Okay, this is not saying that we're not to assist the braholics and the fries with how they raise their little one. We're not talking about that. That's not judging that we're talking about in Romans chapter 2. We still have to speak into one another's lives. We still have to hold one another accountable. There's still a necessity at times, tragically, for church discipline. There's even what? There's times for the court of the law to speak into one another's lives. But what he is saying is this. Stop criticizing. Stop cutting on. Stop trying to find fault with others. We have a responsibility to speak into one another's lives. Hebrews chapter 10, what? Stir up. Stir up to one another. Stir up to one another to love and to good works. We're to help one another. Later it says what? Admonishing one another in Colossians chapter 3. In all wisdom, singing 
psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your hearts. So, so the, the premise that God is putting on us is, is the author is reminding us that God is the one who is the full authority. And we can trust in his supreme justice. He doesn't get anything wrong. Which means what? No one is going to get away with anything. No one is going to get away with anything. So what? It's not your job to say, Miss Andrews, just want to let you know, Daryl didn't finish his homework. No, that's not needed. That's not what we behave like. It's not what we do. The Jews were saying that those Gentiles, they're heathens because they were not circumcised like we are. Same premise applies. It's what? It's you saying, because I was raised in church. Because I teach Sunday school. Yeah, I'm just, well, I don't want to announce it. But because I teach Sunday school, I'm just, I'm one up on Jack. He's, he's probably burying bodies in the backyard, for all we know. That's the way that we begin to kind of point and, and measure. The text is what? Take the badge off, okay? There's no spiritual sheriff responsibility that you have. Trust God to make the call. Proverbs chapter 15. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Which comes to what? To those who by practice and well-doing seek glory and honor, he gives eternal life. We see in verse 7. Or the flip side. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, there will be wrath and fury. Just pause on this. Eternal life, wrath and fury. Wrath and fury or eternal life. You know, it, it kind of seems simple, but the problem is, is we don't think like that. Instead, we think about the here and the now. Instead, we think about, do I look good? And am I going to sell well in front of others? Instead, we think about, like, really, is this, is this going to cost me? Is this going to hurt me? Is this going to demand sacrifice? There's no, no secret 2020 has been a tremendously challenging season. Various, varying obstacles. In the spring, I think it was 11 consecutive Sundays that we had to stay in our homes and you watch church online. Certainly not ideal. We were inside for a couple weeks and it was like really, really, really challenging. So we went outside and by God's grace, we were blessed with an incredible summer. I think we spent another 11 or 12 weeks consecutively outside. A challenging season. And now we come back inside and it's still like, this is still awkward. Like we got the mask wearers, the non-mask wearers. We got these people and those people. And we got divisions. And we have all of this like kind of underneath. As opposed to examining what? No doubt people are tired. No, no doubt that people are just frustrated. I just want this over with. Can we get back to normal? Have you realized that we don't do anything the same anymore? You don't go to the doctor the same way you used to? 
You don't go to school the same way you used to. You don't go to the grocery store the same way you used to. You don't go to church. Like, everything is upside down here. And it's very easy in those, what, outward kind of pressure point moments that we begin to push on one another. And some people, what, I just, I just want to step back. I'm just like, I'm out. Others are sitting. That's good. But sitting still is not enough. Others are serving, and there's actually at some level kind of an imbalance where we have a small pocket of people that are serving, and they're getting worn and frustrated and exhausted because we got a lot of people that are just sitting. I'm not real comfortable here. And that, that kind of exists within what? Our own ranks. Brothers and sisters, we are family. We... we, we we have one heavenly Father. We live with one single goal, a, a mission mandate. Jesus, what, told us, you go and make disciples. Literally, we know that that translates, as you are going, as you're going, you're making disciples along the way. Well, it doesn't look quite good enough. I'm going to just take a break on this one. By you choosing to take a break, others are warned. And what's happening is that there's, there's pressure points and there's fingers that can very easily be pointed. How do we go make disciples? Well, it's pretty simple. On our mission right here at Little Big Woods Bible Church in Lockheed, Pennsylvania, we love God and we love people. Yeah, but you don't, you don't love the same people that I love. And you don't demonstrate your love for God the same way that I do. And what happens in that? We have a simple vision. We what? We build relationships. Well, some people build relationships with time together in talking. Others build relationships in time together by activity. Well, we're to build relationships. Why? So that God is glorified. Single purpose. So that the mission remains the same. Lives in our community need to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's happened is I've actually heard, do you know that they voted Democrat? Yeah, yeah, they did. We have a single, simple mission. And fingers can very easily just distract. Who do you think you are? We are all broken sinners. In sight of and in the presence at the feet of a holy, sovereign God who graciously, graciously gifts to us the opportunity to have a little tiny part of his kingdom for all of eternity. Let's consider the needs that are before us right now. We've already been minded. Boy, there, for some reason, I sat in an elders meeting just for some reason, we, we've never had such a need for children's ministry before. Some people, yeah, I, I'm out. I don't really like, they, their noses run. Yeah, I saw that two-year-old and he took his mask off for a moment. Whatever it is. I don't know, whatever it is. And so I'm just going to sit back. And, and we begin to measure and judge. Let me tell you this, when you are busy working, when you're busy serving, you don't have time to judge other people. There's a need. 
There's a need. There's a need for us to be faithful. There's a need for us to share one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Why? Because there is a holy, amazing, sovereign God who has invited us graciously as what? Broken sinners. To be in relationship with him. God in his graciousness revealed that what? We don't have it. We don't have it. I don't have it. You don't. And so he made a way for us by sending his own son, Jesus, Philippians 2. I'm going to look forward to preaching that on Christmas Eve. He left the glories of heaven, what, to take upon the the form of a servant. But he did that because he loved us. He made a way that when we as broken, fallen sinners put our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he paid the price for your sin and my sin because we could not pay it. We are sinners at best. At best we sin. And yet acknowledging that there is sorrow and hardship There's a reason that godly sorrow brings repentance. That we don't live the way that we used to live. We don't cut on and criticize and measure and judge like kids in junior high. We together acknowledge the fact that we can fall before the Lord. We can submit to him as Lord recognizing that he is the Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And we keep our eyes on him, and we stop looking at other people. And as we keep our eyes on him, we just want to serve him more and do more for his glory. Not for salvation, but as a result of what God has done. And we want, we just have to, we can't sit, we have to serve. I would encourage you this morning to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your own heart, not, not the words of a man. But you know whether or not you've skirted responsibilities. You know whether or not you've kind of shirked areas that maybe the church is suffering and lacking in. You, you know in your own heart whether or not you think you're like one up on Jack. I would encourage you this this morning, this afternoon, this evening, fall on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me because I've been judging and I've been measuring and I've been sitting rather than serving. May we be family that lives as family, loving unconditionally and keeping eyes on our Heavenly Father. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace and patience for us. We are so undeserving. Father, I pray that even in challenging seasons that we have been in this entire year, I I think of other churches as well. I think of brothers and sisters that are struggling across the whole country, across the world. God, help us to, to begin as prayer warriors, faithful on our knees. Help us, Lord, to listen to your spirit, to guide us and teach us. It's not going to look perfect. We understand that. Because we're far from perfect. But we thank you that you are. Forgive us. Forgive me. If there's moments that we point and judge, may we together 
keep our eyes on you. May, give us, may you give us the strength to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.